All right. Psalms 100. My name is Josh, one of the pastors here, and this is just a psalm that is all about asking you to give thanks. We're going to jump right in. Look at the prescript that's before the actual first verse. It says, a psalm for giving thanks. Don't you just love it when a preacher can get so clear that right at the beginning he tells you, this is why I'm writing to you. I mean, there's no mistaking it. It is the only psalm like it. He puts it in bold text for you this morning with some capital letters. Give thanks. That's what the sermon's about. Now, you have to ask yourself, why would we need to be told to give thanks? Why would we need to be reminded as God's people for reasons to give thanks? Well, truth be told, I look out among you this morning, and I know that giving thanks is not easy. Giving thanks on this earth is hard to do. The world continues to heave on its axis. Hatred and violence continues to emerge from every corner. Suffering and sorrow seems to find its way behind every door. As we know each other, we get past the smiles. We always have a story. And we all see that sorrow has touched each of us. And so the psalmist gives us this song to help you give thanks. It is very hard to do. This song can be divided in half. Each half follows the same pattern. At first, he gives us a request, a request, an invitation for you to give thanks. But then he backs it up with the reason for why you should give thanks. And so sentences one through three can be like verse one of a song. But it's almost as if the psalmist knows, hey, verse 1 ain't going to get it done. This church needs a second verse. And so in verses 4 through 5, or sentences 4 and 5, if you will, that's the second verse of the song. It's like you hear it, but you're still not ready yet. And so he goes, I'm going to say the same truths all over again, just in a different way, so that you can finally at the end be like, I'm ready. So let's just go ahead and look at this, a request. The request is found in verse 1 and 2. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. It is a request to give thanks. It's an invitation that is extended to you this morning to give thanks to God. No, it is even more than an invitation. The psalmist here is putting before you some divine obligation that you ought to give thanks to God. It is found in this poetic triplet form, make, serve, come. All those commands are in the plural form. You all are to make, serve, and come. But not just the church. This is for all the earth. It is universal, right? We we, we see that. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. All the earth is to rise on its feet and to give thanks. I often wonder about what condition you find yourself in this morning. I know what my heart's like before I get here sometimes. I'm sure your heart is just like mine. And maybe you don't feel like giving thanks, but let me just remind you, you were made to give thanks to God. I often wonder if it is because of our lack of thanksgiving in the world that God at times wipes his hands and says, go off on your own. Paul put it this way. 
For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Perhaps the reason why the world is as it is is because the world has forgotten to give thanks to God. People want to deny who God is to them. We all want to suppress the truth that God created us, that He gave us everything that we have. We want to suppress that truth with this lie. I am my own, and I don't need anyone else, not even God. And we want to believe that lie so that now we can be our own masters, be our own authority, live for our own interests, set our own goals, live for our own agenda. You know what we want? We want to work for this boss who gives us the company credit card, but then we want to say, hey, I'm off to the Bahamas. And all of us take all of God's good gifts, life, breath, talents, treasure, time, and we're saying, I'm off to the Bahamas. Could this psalm be a corrective for the world collective? Give thanks, all the earth. And look at how we are to give thanks. How does he describe? What does it look like? Three things here. Shout joyfully. right? Serve gladly. Sing intimately. Shout joyfully. We are to give thanks in song. It says we are to make a joyful noise to the Lord. Often people have said to me, that's you. Right? When I sing, I make a noise. Joyfully. (laughs) But the real idea behind this is that noise just means a great shout. It's a word that's used in homage of a king, honoring him, shouting to the king. You can look back at 1 Samuel 10 later today and see a time when Israel anoints a king and they all shout, long live the king. And so what Christians are to do here joyfully is to shout, the Lord lives. He lives is to be shouted from the mountaintops till it cascades down into every valley. He lives. And the purpose of a shout is to kind of send that trumpeting alarm to you, that triumphant acclamation, that jolting nature of an audible tone that says, I'm joyfully proclaiming the Lord lives. That's what giving thanks is to look like. But that's not all. It also looks like serving gladly. It says, serve the Lord with gladness. Serving here is a word that is used when Moses brings the people of Israel to the mountain. And God says, after he's rescued them from Egypt, he's bought them, and he has brought them, and now they're going to be in a relationship with him, and he says, they will serve me. They will worship me. I love how Derek Kidner, he's a great Old Testament scholar, has a little commentary series that's small. You could read it through Psalms. He's really good. He says this, in Hebrew as in English, worship or service is indivisible. It's a word which leaves no gap or choice between worship and service. Worship and service are synonymous is what he's saying. And what you find in Exodus 19 is that these people are filled with anticipation as a people of God gather together to find out what worship is. What is it going to look like to serve this God? And from chapters 20 through 32 in Exodus, you learn what it is to serve God and to worship God. And what they do, 
for those 13 chapters is they gather around his word as God speaks. God speaks for 13 chapters. So what is service? What is worship? It is a glad attentiveness of the mind to the word of God that I might live under it. What we're doing this morning. A glad attentiveness of the mind to the word of God that I might live by it, under it. Listening to and living under God's word. That's what it means to give thanks. Not just shouting joyfully, but also listening quietly to his word that you might live under it. That's why other psalmists say his word to me is sweeter than honey. That's why Christians talk about Bible reading as milk for a newborn babe. We desire God's word like a newborn baby desires milk. That's how important it is because it's part of how we worship God. Do you desire to listen and live under his word? Finally, it looks like a collective witness singing, right? We are to come into his presence with singing. Have you ever been here and you're not quite ready to sing yet? I don't know if your heart's ever like mine in that way, but when I hear God's people singing, guess what happens? Eventually, I want to sing too. If this morning you come here and you're going, oh, a psalm on Thanksgiving, Pastor, I don't need that. I'm going through sorrow. And your soul is languishing in ways that you can't even whisper a joyful note of praise. Then come and listen. Just come and listen to other people singing. Until the singing of your brothers and sisters lifts your own heart to joyful praise. There's a reason why our band, as good as they are, is not going to crank up the volume because it's not a concert for you just to sit there and be like, yay. It's, it's, you want to hear each other singing to you. They're preaching sermons to you through their music. And it is the church singing that has that effect of warming your heart to give thanks. There's a little uh, scan code in your bulletin. You can scan that later and read it. It's a short little article. It's called, What Can Miserable Christians Sing? It's a real category. Is everybody ready for a happy, clappy song on every Sunday? I, I like them. I get excited about happy, clappy songs. I like it loud. That's personally my subjective opinion. But there are times when we have to acknowledge that other people are going through tough times and they need to sing whatever my God ordains is right in a low key. We minister to all kinds of people through all different kinds of music. Read that article and be encouraged about how we need to have songs that aren't just victory, but also songs of confession and need and trust because there's some dark valleys. So what does it mean to give thanks? Shout joyfully, serve gladly, sing intimately, and now he gives you the reason why in verse 3. The author knows that you need a reason to give thanks because maybe you're not warmed up yet, right? So look at verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are the people uh, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Why are we to give thanks? The Lord is God. The Lord is still God. Well, what is this God who is still God-like? He's one who made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. He's giving you a reason to give thanks because God is your creator. He created you. 
and he ought to receive praise from you because you are not your own. You were created for his glory and for his purposes. He is the one who made you. We are his. He is our creator and our sustainer, and he calls the whole world his sheep, and he is our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. These are the reasons to give thanks. But then in verse 4, he repeats his, uh, his request. Again, he doesn't think that you're ready yet. Maybe you're not ready to join him in song, and so one, one round won't get it done. Here's the second verse of his song to press home some truths. Verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. And just like we already had the very beginning, here we get our second triplet, right? Our second triplet is enter, give, and bless. Enter just means that we are to come willingly. How are we to worship? We enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We are to come willingly because God doesn't want us to come grudgingly. Oh no, got to go to church again, right? Do I really have to go to worship? I'd rather be home folding socks. Like if you know the Owenses, that is like everyone hates that job. Gracie there today just said, I threw out all the missing socks. I did it all finally. They're done. Firstborn. Killed and conquered it. Got it done, Dad. But all of us put that off. And yet sometimes we say, I'd prefer to fold socks to coming here. No, he wants you to come with this sense. Better is a day in your presence than a thousand days elsewhere. Have to. No, faith family, we say, I get to, right? You couldn't keep me from God's house with God's people. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Come willingly. Faith family, if that's not where you are, if there's no delight for you in worship, if there's no desire in you to be with God's people to meet him in worship, and I just want to tell you gently, this is a sign that there is something that is wrong. Something. You should ask yourself, am I glad to be here? Do I want to be here? Come willingly. Then we are to give and bless responsively. Give thanks to him and bless his name. What does worship look like? Give and bless responsively. We are to give and bless his name in response to who he is and what he's already done. We come, we enter, we bless, we give, all of this because it's in response to who God is and what he has done for us. That kind of changes the tone of the commands here. We have six commands in five verses. And you might say, wow, he is just heaping a burden on me that I might resent. No. Remember who he is. Remember what he has done. And now the invitation, right, to make, serve, come, enter, give, bless, all of those are in response to who he is and what he has done for you. So we're going to do at the communion table. We're going to remember who he is and what he has done for us. And we need more time than we just have on Sunday mornings. So faith family, you kind of heard it from Daryl, but once a month, we have so many people that have been wanting to share testimonies about what God is doing in their lives that we just want to, we need to hear that. We need to hear testimonies of where God has given people the victory. We need to hear testimonies of where someone is struggling to hold on to their faith through a severe trial. 
We need to hear testimonies about what God's doing around the world so we don't just think that he's a local deity in Loudoun, but that he is the God of South Africa with the Perants and what he's doing there, the Rapogles and Chad. So once a month, we're asking all the small groups to cancel. We're not going to add to your calendar, right? Just once a month on a Wednesday night, if you have a small group on Tuesday, we're asking to cancel on Tuesday. If you have a small group on Thursday, cancel it. And just come on Wednesday night. We're going to meet in Palmer Hall. There's going to be tables out. We want to make it so inviting for you that you want to be there willingly. That we're going to do it out there so that you can bring your own dinner. If 6.30 is like, ah, I'm just getting home from work. We're not going to have time to eat. Fine. Bring your ego. Microwave your hot pocket here. Sit with your kids at the table. Give them a bag of Cheerios. Bring your own milk. This is not a potluck. Do not hear that. You are not adding one more thing to cook for everybody else. If you need dinner, bring it. Sit there. Eat. We're going to sing. We're going to hear testimonies. We're just going to celebrate what God's doing because we've all have just loved testimonies lately. Testimonies from baptism. We have testimony from Burt Kerr later. Testimony from Aaron O'Brien. There are so many people that want to testify to what God's doing. I'm like, wow, we just need a service for that. It would be a great way to celebrate who God is and what he has done today. I invite you to put that on your calendar. Come willingly. And we're going to do that as a response to who he is and what he's done for us. So the psalmist moves here at the end in verse 5 to his last reason. Notice, my non-Christian friends, that God gives us reasons for why we do what we do. God doesn't want Christians just to check their bread at the door. So if you're a non-Christian, God is saying this is why you should give thanks. He wants you to know why you do what you do. Why you do what you do is as important as doing it. And so here he says here in verse 5, For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness is to all generations. The Lord is good. The Lord is still good. And look at how his, genera- how his goodness is described. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Do you know the first time that God is described as good and his steadfast love endures forever occurs in the Bible? The first time we ever get this phrase is in Exodus. Now remember in Exodus, God has brought his people out of Egypt, out of slavery. He's bought them, protected them, rescued them. He's going to provide for them a promised land. He brings them Moses as a prophet. And he's going to give Moses the Ten Commandments and other commandments on how they're going to relate to him. And so Moses goes up on the mountain. And before the preacher even comes down from the mountain, days after being rescued from slavery, Israel has already disregarded all of God's goodness. They've already forgotten. They do what Paul says. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him as God. And so they became futile in their minds and their hearts were darkened and they make a golden calf. You see how it works in your life? You fail to give thanks to God. Your mind gets darkened. You become futile in your thinking. Your heart becomes darkened and you begin to worship other idols. That's how important giving thanks is. And it's in that moment that God reveals himself to Moses as the Lord, the Lord, a good, merciful, and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquities and transgressions of sin. So hear this, faith family. When the people of Israel know for the first time that God's love endures forever, 
when they know that God is good and his faithfulness will be for all generations, when they learn that for the first time is when they know they are sinners. And that should be good news for you. It ought to give you a reason to give thanks. He's faithful. He's faithful to all generations, and we never forget this. Do you know this this morning? Do you know that there is a God, and that even though you've lived your own life as your own authority, making your own decisions, setting your own goals, God loves you still? Do you know that he sent his son to die for you, to redeem you, to take the punishment your ingratitude deserves? All that to make you his child, to relieve you of the anxieties of the world by making you something greater than this world is, an eternal heir with Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. That's good news. It's a reason for us to give thanks. And the only rational reason you would reject the gospel this morning, the only rational reason why you would not want to give thanks to God for what he has done for you as your creator and your redeemer is if you were to say, that is just too good to be true. That's the only rational reason. You're saying that my ingratitude should make me live an eternal life separated from God under his judgment because I've committed cosmic treason, taking all of his good gifts and then not giving him any credit for it and using and running my own life. And you're saying he's going to forgive me? And he does it all to bring me in and to make me his son or daughter? To make me an heir of Christ? You know, when I heard that for the first time in seventh grade, my first reaction was, that's too good to be true. God's honest truth. I heard the gospel for the first time in seventh grade on a chemistry lab chair, a bar stool, if you will, at a high tabletop with beakers around. And I heard that God is good, and I heard that God is gracious, and that he would take me as his own, and I didn't have to earn it. He would do it all for me. And from my heart came praise about how good he is, how faithful he is, and how kind he is. I can't think of a better way for you this morning to give thanks to God than by giving your life to Jesus Christ. But maybe my testimony isn't what you needed. Maybe you still aren't warmed up yet. You need a second verse of the song. Well, Bert Kerf, I'm going to take a page from this psalmist here. You need double, double requests, double reasons. Well, you're going to have double testimonies. Bert Kerf is going to come up and share. Maybe it'll warm your heart to want to give thanks to how God can save someone like you. Bert, come up and share your testimony, brother. Thank you. Good morning. I give thanks to God for you, my faith family, and for the pastors here, and for everyone who has given their life to glorifying God and doing his will, advancing his kingdom. I've always known there was a God when I was a kid. I remember praying a lot. Uh, it was always Thanksgiving because I was a kid. Everything was fantastic. Uh, we didn't go to church very much. Uh, and as I got older um, and left home, uh, I sometimes would go, but uh, one day I was invited by a friend to come to church, and I started going regularly. 
And uh, one day I was driving home from church. I was alone in my car. And I just said, God, is this what you really want? You really want me to give you my life? And um, I didn't think any more of it. I turned left onto a road, and it was a great big hill. It went way down and then way back up. And as I was going down, I saw a bird land on a wire. And as soon as it did, it fell down to the ground. And I was intrigued, so I pulled the car over, and I got out, and I bent over to look at the bird, and it flew away. It didn't hit me until I got to the other side on the top of the hill that God had just answered my prayer. And when I got home, I realized the road I was on was called Grace Street. I'd like to say that I was saved right then and there, but of course I, I went on my own way. And A few years later, my mom got saved, and she was a great person, but she had problems like we all do, and her problems started getting better, and she started becoming become a, a, a better, more happy, wonderful person. And, um, as we spoke, because my mom and I are really good friends, we spoke all the time, she would pepper me with little Bible verses and give me these pieces of advice that were biblically based. And um, when I was in my early 30s, I had a really bad bicycle accident. I was in the hospital for about a week and then about six weeks at home recuperating. And I started thinking about my own mortality. And that's when I started reading the Bible in earnest, and I was drawn to the Old Testament prophets for some reason, Daniel and Isaiah, and I saw that God would give a word to these prophets, and then that would come true, sometimes a little bit later, sometimes way later. With Cyrus, it was 150 years after Isaiah was given the word that he let the Hebrews uh, free to go rebuild Jerusalem. Um, I realized that if I tried to do something 100 years from now, the soon as I was dead and buried, that was done. There was no way I was ever going to accomplish that. But God kept doing it over and over again. So I was convinced. But I wanted to be sure, absolutely sure, that I had the right thing. So I took a lot of deep dives. I uh, looked into Islam and Buddhism and Latter-day Saints, Jehovah's Witnesses. And every one of those I studied wanted, required me to do something. I had to do a penance or travel to Mecca or... But the God of the Bible that I was reading said that all you have to do is believe. There's nothing else you can do. Um, sorry. So it weighed on my heart very heavily. I was at work. Um, I couldn't even work. I had to take leave. And there was a good friend of mine. She was a Christian. And I went to where she lived, and I told her what had happened and what was going on inside of me. And she said, you know, like good friends do, she kind of looked at me like I was dumb. And she said, Robert, 
you know what you have to do. And that's when I accepted the Lord. And I want to give him thanks for sticking with me, for his long suffering, and for bringing me here. Thank you. Yeah, it's a good perspective, right? Long suffering of how long he knew and his faithfulness continued to draw you to himself. As we prepare for communion, um, should I turn this? Sorry, Sue. There you go. Uh, communion is for people that can responsibly give thanks personally to what God has done for them, remembering who he is and what he has done for me. The Lord has given you everything, right? And our only response is to give him everything in return. This is a visible reminder for you of that, of what he deserves. We need this reminder because without the cross, we actually forget what God has done for us. Because there's a lot of things that all of us wish that God would currently do for us. This reminds us of what God has done for us, taking care of our ultimate need. Other things are important, but this is our ultimate need. When we feel like we aren't getting what we deserve, we go back to the cross and we see that there has never been a day when we've gotten what we deserve. We go back to the cross and we see we've gotten better than we deserve. But we forget that. Life doesn't seem fair. And so God doesn't seem good. Communion is a great time, not only to give your heart to the Lord for the first time, but it's a great time to repent of your disregard for Christ and his ultimate gift. Some of us have forgotten that God is good, and we are intentionally living in sin. Even after his sacrifice, we're living as if we're a child of a different father that we claim by faith through Jesus Christ. Today is a great day to demonstrate again your repentance of disregarding the sacrifice of Christ. What further sacrifice could there be? No better way to start giving thanks than by renewing, God, you are good. I took care of my greatest need. I want to live for you. You gave me everything. We have your body symbolizing the bread your blood symbolized in the cup. And his goodness, not his judgment, but his goodness melts your heart to say, here I am. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, when I consider it all, you know, here's my life. Take and have it all. And it frees you from that prison of self-pity. It says this is not the way it's supposed to be. And it puts within your heart a wellspring of joy. We're going to have the uh, handbell choir come up and lead us.